Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Our current series is Jesus Over All, a look inside the call for the glory of God to be our aim in all of life. Uh, this is our fourth week of Jesus Over All, and what we're doing is we're taking a lot of the different categories in which we believe that Scripture says we're worshiping. And the category that we're going to talk about today is Jesus Over Our Parenting. And here's something that I've noticed. Folks will, will let you talk about their marriage, talk about their, their stuff, their finances. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll let you get into, but you start talking about someone's kids and they're like, yo, you're meddling. All right. You need to, you need to back off. So here's, uh, here's what I want to do. Let me put my crew up on the, uh, up on the, yeah. Mom gave him the looks and the brains and I gave him the attitude. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's my crew. And here's some here's some things that I want you to notice from the very beginning. Uh, I'm a very young daddy. And Noah on the far right is six. Emma on the left is four. And Isaiah in the middle is six months. And so I'm by no means an expert on parenting. By God's grace, uh, I, I, I hope to continue to learn and continue to grow as a daddy. And, and we hope to continue to grow as a family. And so I'm not standing up here today trying to say... Do what I have done or I know and you're wrong or you're right or that kind of deal. I will say this, though. I've been able to be a pastor for about 14 years and I've walked with I've been in hospital rooms with parents. I've been at funerals with parents. I've been uh, at graduation with parents and I've been at the ball game where the kid hit his first home run and dad's crying. And, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, that guy, all those all those hours in the backyard. And uh, and I've been I've been around really, really godly and good parents. And I've been around really awful parents. And, and sometimes those awful parents are well intentioned and sometimes they're awful because they're not well intentioned. And so what I'm, what I'm going to do today is I'm, I'm trying to invite you into a conversation and say these are some of the resources and some of the principles that I've been taught and that I see in Scripture. And if you're sitting in here today and you're like, man, I don't even have kids. I, I, I want you to understand that when we're talking about church, the old adage that it takes a village to raise a kid, uh, I, I think it's true. And I think that if you are in here today and you don't have kids, you have a great opportunity to come alongside parents who do have kids and to pray for them and to love on them and to, and to be available for them. And some of these biblical principles are going to be as helpful to you as they are to a guy with three kids or four kids or, you know, ten kids or, or, or whatever. I've noticed that families in Wisconsin tend to be a little bigger than in Ohio. I think it's the winner. Like, what else are we going to do? Um, <laughs> right? So, lots of spring babies. All right. What's that? All right, man, you already brought up. You already brought it up. The Packers play the Browns today, all right? I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm, I'm a Packers fan unless they're playing the Browns, okay? So let's just get that covered. If you need to leave now, because I said that, you can dismiss yourself. Just drop your giving in the box on the way out, all right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. So um, let, me, let me tell you a real quick story. I have, I have two men that God used in a really instrumental way in my life. During the most formative kind of teenage years, my folks split when I was 13 years old. It wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. My relationship with my dad has been has been tough. And so I remember my mom and I praying that God would provide me with two or three or ten godly men. And God gave me two men. One was a teaching pastor at the church that I came to faith in. And one was a very successful businessman. 
And I remember talking to that teaching pastor that he had had his first child and his mentor uh, called him to congratulate him on having the baby. And then he uttered these words. Children are a curse, man. You need to know that right now. You need to know that they're going to disappoint you, that they're going to fail you, that they're probably going to ruin your life. Click. <laughs> Thank you. Right. And, and I and, and Pastor Frank was was telling me how this this terror came over him, uh, hoping that that wouldn't be true. And so I want the tone and the text that uh, that we start with to be out of Psalms 127 to kind of recalibrate. And here's the reason. Uh, I think that you're probably smart enough to not stand up and say, yo, that's true. I think you're smart enough to not do that. But I think I think that we would be naive to to not say that there are some of you who maybe wouldn't say it that bluntly and certainly wouldn't say it to a new daddy, but you think it and you feel it. And there are times, even if you love your kids and that, that look, parenting is hard. It might not be a curse, but it's hard. It's hard. And so I want to start uh, and have kind of our thesis text be Psalm 127, 3 and 5. That'll be coming up behind me there. Behold, children are inherited from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When you look down through scripture, you see over and over and over again that children are a blessing from God. They're a blessing from God. Now, blessing doesn't mean that they always make you happy. Blessing doesn't mean that they always do what you ask. Blessing doesn't mean that they clean their room and eat all of their food at dinner. Blessing means that they are intended and given to you to produce joy by a God who is good and faithful. And so where we want to start today is I want to pray for us around just our kids, around our perspective on them, around the difficulties and the struggles, as well as the happiness and the joy. And I just want to ask God to, uh, man, do and say whatever he wants in us, because I think that if you read the newspaper, if you get online, you see that we are we are effectively losing a generation because we don't know what to do with our kids and candidly because kids are having kids. And so we want to cling with white knuckles to the grace of God, to the Holy Spirit, and to the authority of Scripture in our lives. So I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm going to pray that God would give us grace, help me not to say too many stupid things today. I got a three stupid thing quota, all right, and I got to hit that. So other than that, we'll pray. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, your grace to Ashley and I in giving us three beautiful kids. I want to thank you for the grace that you've given to this church. We've got a lot of kids running around here and uh, we receive that you say that they are a blessing and that they are a reward and that they are to induce joy and help us understand that you're good and faithful. I also understand, God, that parenting is hard and I understand that uh, it exposes us and that maybe embarrasses us or makes us feel condemned. And so I understand that there are parents from every spectrum in here, all of whom have made mistakes, all of whom wish they could have some mulligans. Uh, But God, I pray that you today would speak to us through your word, empowered by your Holy Spirit, through a tone of grace, helpfulness and hopefulness, God. And I pray that when we walk out of here, our faith in your goodness and our trust in your word would be would be greater than when we walked in. 
This is a sensitive topic, God. So I pray that you'll help me to be wise. I also pray that you'll help uh, each one of us to not be defensive, to not be quick to criticize, but to receive from you as you see fit to give us. And we'll thank you for that in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. A couple of things that I want you to know. The first is this, that parenting is not a major theme in the Bible. Parenting is not a major theme in the Bible. When when I, you know, open it up to start studying through it and I write down everything that God says about parenting, I'm kind of like, this is it. Like, I need a life raft, man. You got to help me out here. Uh, But parenting is 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 not smoke spoken of specifically a, a, a tremendous amount of time. There are things like father. Don't provoke your kids to wrath. There are things like the book of Proverbs where you have a father talking to a son. There are inferences of fatherhood and even less, honestly, of motherhood, but but not a major theme in Scripture. And so let me tell you why I think that is. The first is this, that I think that there's a lot of grace around parenting in Scripture. In other words, I think that if you're a parent in here, you should take a deep breath and you should try to relax. Because I think that God knows that... That parenting, especially for somebody who is who is broken like I am, somebody who's prideful like I am, somebody who's as as high strong as I am, parenting is going to be an exposing thing and it's going to be a difficult thing. And he knows that we live in an age and during a time where the children that we give birth to tend to scream and break stuff and disobey and not eat their 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 food. And you can get wound like a top around this idea of parenting if you're not coming back to the grace of God. And so I think that parenting is an issue that in tone and inference has a lot of grace around it. I think the second thing is this. There's a lot of right ways To parent. There isn't one way. And I think that in Christianity, we like this idea of there being one way, one thing. Just tell me what it is so I know to do it or know if I'm not doing it. If you give me that silver bullet, then I can go home and I can bust it in the back. Right. No, don't do that. Uh, That was stupid thing. Number one, Um, (laughs) a lot of diversity. And so I think that God gives a lot of grace and God gives a lot of space for us to parent righteously And for us to parent different than our neighbor or different than the guy that we respect or the gal that we love and still be firmly within the will and plan of God. The third thing is that I think that gospel centered parenting, what I mean by gospel centered parenting is this, that God already loves me uh, unconditionally, perfectly, eternally, uh, comprehensively, and that he can't love you more and that he won't love you less. And that he is accomplishing the things that he says are for your best through the person and work of Jesus so that we don't work to gain acceptance. We work from acceptance. Those principles as a parent are going to keep you sane, are going to transform your heart and are going to bless your children. In other words, I think the more you white knuckle your kids, the more damage you do and the more you point them to Jesus and live in the reality that God says that he is faithful to accomplish the work that he started in you, that he is faithful to do for you and I what we can't do for ourselves and that his grace is sufficient, not only for you, but for your children, the better off you're going to be, the better off you're going to be. The last thing is this, and this is where we're going to kind of get into the guts of this. Us needing to understand that parenting is often an effect, not a cause. 
In other words, the way I parent is a result of what's in my heart. My kids don't make me something. My my parenting is a very visible, sometimes not very attractive manifestation of who I really am. And this is where the gospel is going to become incredibly important because there are going to be times where if I could open your door while you are at the most maddened state with your kids and just put a mirror in front of you. You need the gospel at that point. You don't need discipline. You don't need therapy. Maybe you need therapy, right? Um, you need to know that God is faithful. And you need to know that God loves and likes you. You need to know that God's going to continue to be at work in you from the times that you do it right and the times where, oh man, I can't believe you put a mirror in front of me. But we need to understand that the way that I parent, and I'm just going to speak in the first person as much as possible, is a very easy way for me to see where I really am in contrast many times to what I say that I believe. Here's why we say this. The principles of this series is that God created all people worshiping, not just worshipers, but that you have a bent in you that longs for transcendence and value and purpose. That you are built by God walking around worshiping, worshiping. Worshiping isn't just singing. Worshiping isn't just, you know, doing the, 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 the cross thing. Or it, it's not those things. Worshiping is whatever you put transcendent value and purpose on. That's why we've talked about that we're so easily marketed to. Buy this car and you'll be successful. Buy this phone and you'll have, you know, connection and relationship. It taps into these things that are deeply important to us. And we think, if I had the iPhone 5S with the cool unlocking feature, right, then I would have better relationships. Why? Because we we long for those kind of things. So we're worshiping and we're interpreting based on what we value. We make interpretations around about the things that are around us. An example would be today, the Packers and the Browns play. I've heard. All right. I'm watching the Packers and the Browns. The Browns are down 48 points. And I'm getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And my little girl comes in and she says, Daddy, can we please play T-Set? And I say, no, we cannot play T-Set. The Browns are on. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? And I pot and I go back to it. What am I doing? I'm making an interpretation around what in that circumstance I'm valuing. I'm valuing. And so we do this again and again and again. This is why a lot of our relationships are dysfunctional. It's not that they did something they shouldn't have done. It's that they impeded on our value system and our interpretation is generally angry or sad or disappointed or or whatever you want to say. And, and, And so we say that we're worshiping and we're interpreting and out of that comes our beliefs and our behavior. And the same applies to parenting. I have things that I worship. I have things that I was worshiping before Noah came along that I continue to worship after Noah, after Emma, after Isaiah. And they either agree with that and help me with that or they expose my idolatry. But kids are one of the most violent interpretation tools that God gives us. And that's why parenting is so hard, because how many of you would say I turned into a different person when I had kids, and that wasn't always a good thing. 
How many of you would say there's been things that I've said and done to my kids that I'm so ashamed of and I don't know why I did it because I don't feel that way. Right. We have these things that happen to us when we're parenting that that scripture says that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth. Speaks. So you need to understand that as you're parenting, you're worshiping. And as you're parenting, you're interpreting. And based on that worship and that interpretation, you believe certain things and you behave certain ways. Now, whenever I kind of look out over the landscape of parenting, I think that there are three tensions that we need to kind of get on the landscape of our thinking here. That, that uh, there's polar opposites to, but that can expose some things about the way that we think. The first is this. It's the love tension. It's the love tension. Now... The very first time that I saw this alien life form, uh, you know, uh, come out of my wife's body and, and anyone look who tells you that kids are cute. The very first second they're born has never seen one. All right. They saw they saw a six month old baby in Sandra Bullock's arms. and They're like, wow, that's what babies look like. No, no, it isn't. But I will tell you this. Um, I had one of the most surreal experiences of my life because whenever we found out that we were having a baby, this terror came over me. And that terror was around my ability to be a good daddy to whatever this little boy or little girl was going to become and whether or not I was going to be able to love them. And I remember the very first second that I laid eyes on Noah and it happened with Emma and it happened with Isaiah. I, I was like, I will love you until the day I die. Like something happens immediately in us as daddies and as mommies that we have this overwhelming sense of love. And if I think if you're a dad, this protective thing in you, that's like, I will kill all of you if you mess with this guy. Right. But here's the thing that's important for us to consider about this is I think there's some tension in this. And I think it happens a couple different ways. The first is for you to think about love by comparison, love by comparison. And this would be one pull of this. Whenever I think about my life and whenever I think about how God calls me to lay it out, I have certain priorities of love and valuing. And those priorities, as I understand it, are that I am first a follower of Jesus, that the one who I love more than anyone is Jesus. That I give my life to him, that I serve him, that I value him, that he gives me purpose, that he is the transcendent entity in my life. Number one. Number two is Ashley, my wife. If I start to love my wife more than Jesus, that's idolatry. And I'm going to start to break things in her as I improperly worship her. So Jesus comes first. Ashley comes second. Noah, Emma and Isaiah come third. And notice I didn't say second along with Ash third. In other words, there are times when I say to my son, son, you will not speak to my wife that way. And I think that sometimes whenever we think about loving God and loving our spouse and loving our kids, it's this big melting pot. I don't think that that's the biblical teaching. I think that the biblical teaching is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He doesn't say to daddy is to love in that way. And so we love our kids maybe equally, but differently. But if I start to transpose those things, things are going to go south. If I start to love my kids more than my wife, 
If I start to love my kids more than Jesus, another one, number four for me would be work. Jesus, Ash, kids, work. If I start to love my work more than my God, more than my wife, more than my kids, I'm going to break things. Why? Because I'm worshiping. Because of what I'm worshiping. And because of because of the implications and the interpretations and the beliefs and the behaviors that are going to come out of that. So the first is this misunderstanding of prioritizing our love and affection and the order by which God says to do it. And so I would say to you, if I were to look at your life and your affection and your valuing as it pertains to your parenting, are they out of place? And I think that one of the ways that this happens is that we have kids and that thing comes over you like I'm going to hold you forever. Right. I'm going to change all your dirty diapers and that goes away pretty quickly. Right. I'm going to kill anyone who messes like. And what happens is we take our child and we transpose Jesus with our child. We transpose Jesus with our child and our life revolves around our kid. And our schedule revolves around our kid and our, 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 our hobbies and our money and our time and our relationships revolve around our kid. And we functionally teach our child that the universe, or at least our universe, revolves around them. This is the love tension. I'm not saying don't love your kid. I'm saying don't love them more than you love the things that God has already called you to love. And if you are in here today and you're kind of needing to think through whether or not you improperly love, that's kind of a weird statement, but improperly love your child, I would say it to you this way. If the predominant emotions that you have around your children out under the umbrella of love are fear and anxiety, you better be careful. You better be careful. If the idea of God taking your child away from you, and we could talk about the theological implications of that, of life taking your child away from you, is the thing that you say, God, don't you ever even think of doing that. You better be careful. Because love by comparison and love versus idolatry are something that are very important for you to think through as you raise your children. Because you're teaching your children what is valuable and what is transcendent and what is purposeful. And if they think it's them, you're raising a mini God. You're raising a mini God. The second is the attention tension, the attention tension. And there's two ways that we can look at this. The first is that my child gets all of my attention. I don't know if you've ever been sitting at dinner with somebody and their child gets all of their attention. Like that you're trying to have a conversation, you're trying to have a meal with them. And I'm sorry, hang on a second. Sweetie Petey, eat your dinner, honey. I'm sorry, what was that? Well, I was just saying, oh, sorry, hang on one second. Sweetie, I asked, mommy asked you to eat your dinner. Right. And this happens again and again and again. And again, and you're like, look, just get out of the way. Look, kid, take the food. All right. I don't know what to tell you. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Does your kid think that if if he or she whimpers or, or sniffs or whatever, that mommy and dad are going to drop everything and come to them? I'll tell you two reasons this is concerning, because I think that 
in that level of prioritizing, my kids are best served by seeing me prioritize mommy over them. They need mommy and daddy to be connected. They need mommy and daddy to like each other. They need mommy and daddy to continue to know one another. They don't need mommy and daddy to be in a conversation. And anytime Noah says or does or drops or kicks or whatever, ah, you're the most important. You're the most important. You're the most important. So that attention tension. Let me tell you the other reason that this is concerning for me, because I think that. God's kingdom and God's mission are going to require kids who who don't think they're the center of the universe and who are willing to take risks. And I think that if we are so debilitated by fear that we can't let our kid walk out of the house without them being perfectly bundled up and perfectly safe and perfectly cared for and perfectly watched and perfectly attention given to. What happens if God says you, I want you to move to the Middle East and proclaim the name of Jesus? What happens to that kid? He hasn't been trained to follow Jesus in anything that isn't completely safe and predictable. I think that we're raising, and this might be number two on my quota, but I hope that you understand what I'm saying. I think that we're raising a generation of spiritual wimps. And it concerns me because the world is becoming more and more volatile around faith. Have you watched the news lately? You know what's going on in the Middle East. You, you know what's going on in the Muslim world. You know what's going on in different places. Do you think that God doesn't want us to go to those places and proclaim his name and goodness? It's way too dangerous. And I think that attention and that love tension uh, set our kids up to not be capable of being courageous. If your kid skins his knee... It will grow back. If your kids break something, you probably didn't need it to begin with, right? And these are tensions because we want to give our kids attention and love and care. But it, when we understand it in the context of that we are worshiping, we need to think about why those things are as important to us or the manifestation of those things through our worship. The third is the accomplishment tension, the accomplishment tension. So we have love, attention and accomplishment. And when I sit down with folks or when I observe folks or, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that when you observe me, I think that you see these three avenues showing up over and over and over again. So let me tell you the two things that are are concerning and I hope helpful. The first is this. You should you should want your kid to be accomplishing. And this this is this is deeply concerning to me, deeply, deeply concerning to me, because I believe that when God gave you a child, he gave you a child with certain gifts and strengths that he gave them for his glory. And I think that whenever we say, honey, you don't need to do your homework. I know, you know, come on, honey, you don't need to have a work ethic. Honey, you can stay in the basement and play video games for nine hours a day. Honey, you can you can talk disrespectfully to whoever you want. I mean, that teacher's an idiot. We know that. And then the cop and then the coach and then the boss. You should require your kids to to be what God created them to be. And lazy ain't it. 
And so I understand that there are times, and I understand I'm trying to walk a tightrope here, because I understand that there are times where the kid needs to stay home. I understand that there are times when the kid needs to play video games. I understand that he needs to sleep in, and she needs to get a break. I understand that. We're not, we're not military families. But at a certain point, for the sake of what we really value, which is peace, we don't say, no, you're going to get up and go to school. No, you're going to do your homework and you're going to do your best. No, the teacher, uh, even if he or she is an idiot, you're still going to submit. And even if it is unjust, you're still going to obey. Because the only thing that God ever says to kids is honor and obey. Your parents. And so this accomplishment tension that we don't ask and even require our kids to accomplish anything... And then listen, here's the scariest thing about that. At some point, video game kid is going to grow up, find a girl cute and ask her to get married. And when she's like, could you take out the trash? She's not going to want to pause Call of Duty 19. (laughs) You are teaching your children right now the expectation and requirement of accomplishment. Do it with grace, do it with mercy, do it conscious of their age, right? So you're not like, hey, go build me a deck, Noah. But Noah's supposed to take out the dog and Noah can help me take out the trash. And when he whines about that, I'm teaching him whether or not that's okay. And when he sees me whine about it, I'm teaching him that that's okay. The second is this. The other side of this is the the driving your kid to accomplishment. So one is no expectation. One is this overwhelming expectation. And really what that is, is oftentimes you just using your kids to get what you value. I mean, the easiest, easiest uh, example of this is Little League Dad. I mean, and and look, I'm not even saying that I ain't going to be that guy. I'm not trying to lie to you. But. And I told you about me cheering my son, slide tackling that little girl and all this other uh, exposing. Right. Yeah. But but some of us, we require nothing of our children. Some of us expect our kids to be road scholars when they're in kindergarten. If you if your view of self is dictated by your kids success, health and development, you got an idol. In other words, if if when when Emma does well in school, daddy's a good daddy. That's an idol. Because here's what happens when Emma doesn't do well in school. What happens? And because I know that my kids are going to fail. Why? Because a guy who fails, raised them a sinner, raised them. When they fail, if my purpose and value and transcendent identity is in them, they have taken the place of Jesus. And here's the thing. You put the mantle of Jesus on a kid and you will crush him. You'll crush him. If your emotional state is dramatically changed by the game or the recital or the test or the play, you got an idol. I'm not saying don't care about it. There's a difference between, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't care and I, I care too much. That's why we're saying it's a, ten- a tension. If you're adamant that your kid plays baseball or soccer, does ballet or whatever, and they're like, Daddy, I don't want to play baseball. Hey, you're going to play. 
You might have an idol. You might have an idol. These are things that we need to be cognizant of. These are things that we need to be aware of. These are things that we always need to be checking in on. Love by comparison, that tension, attention tension, and accomplishment tension. Here's what the, the way that the Bible talks about parenting. It talks about it in the context of stewardship. Our kind of main verse has been Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. It talks about that God created everything for his glory. And that means my kids. And what that also means is that my kids are my kids on loan. Some of us, we really need to understand this and we really need to build this into our beliefs so that it affects our behavior. Your kids are your kids on loan. They are God's and for God's glory, not for your glory. When I sit down at a table with you and my kids are disbehaving and their manners are awful and Noah's throwing something across the table and I get angry, what am I expecting them to do? Represent me better. Why? Because you're mine. They're not mine. Scripture talks about kids as stewardship. In other words, God puts them in your account. And at the end of the time that you release them back to him around 18 years old, he wants that account in their life to look more like him than it did when he gave them to you. Another way to think of it is shepherding. A great book that if you're a parent, I would I would say go home, get on Amazon and buy it right now. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Great, great book. That God gives you this little lamb. And he wants you to shepherd her or him well. Lead her well. Protect her well. Provide for her well. Why? Because you're not the ultimate shepherd. And some of us, our idolatry is simply in, you're my kid. I'm telling you what to do. You do what I say because I'm your dad. Be careful. Be careful. The biblical view of parenting is one of stewardship and shepherding. Not ownership and dictatorship. If we're going to steward our children well, we need to understand that our children are born... Worshipping and interpreting. You, you do not have a child who is born benign in their worship. And you know this. If you've ever said to a one-year-old, Honey, it's time for bed. Go to sleep. And watch them arch their back and look at you with demonic eyes. What are they doing? They're just disobeying. Nope. They're worshipping. They're worshiping their way and their timing. And when they want to go to bed, I'm right, Dad. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs for three hours. You don't think I will? So you have a child who you love and who you give attention to and who you have all these dreams for accomplished. But we forget that they're worshiping. And we forget that as they're worshiping, they grow in their interpreting. I can say this in two words. Terrible twos. I don't know what happened to them. Yesterday, 
He was so sweet and so quiet. And then we had this birthday party and I thought it was really beautiful. And now he's demon possessed, Pastor. What happened? He grew in his ability to interpret his surroundings. And we have titles for this. I'm really struggling with my kids right now. How old are, is he? Ah, uh, he's two. Oh, yeah. 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 And we just have this weird, like, oh. Two, I don't know. This is crazy time. No, it's a time where, where he's learning to express his worship. She's learning to express her worship. And, and, and if we just try to modify their behavior, we fail to get at the thing that's driving their behavior. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Another would be, you got terrible twos and then you have, well, teenagers. What's a teenager? Well, he's just growing up. No, a teenager is a worshiper. A teenager is a 13-year-old is a who is able to look at you and is not afraid that you're going to knock him out, right? And tell you exactly what he's worshiping. In not respectful ways. And so we need to wrap our heads around this idea that I'm a parent who is worshiping and I'm raising children who are worshiping. And that's why worshiping is so exposing. Because you're like, I don't worship that. I don't worship that. Ah! Oh, maybe I do. No, I have this sweet little boy and he's wonderful and he's worshiping. And sometimes he worships idols. Sometimes he worships idols. And so we need to keep this in mind. We need to keep in mind that God created our children with his glory in mind when he created them worshiping. Now, as we're training and as we're stewarding, we need to understand that our children are born with certain bents, certain bents. Um, That's the wrong verse that I have in my notes. Go to Proverbs 22 and verse six. No, that's not the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Dave, put up Psalms 120. Seven, if you would. I want you to check this thing out. Thanks, man. Behold, children are inherited from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward like what's next word? Arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I had a buddy in Cincinnati. He was a competitive archer. And, uh, I mean, I don't know anything about archery other than Robin Hood and all that stuff. So I read through that. And I'm like, cool. Kids are like arrows. You know what that means, right? I don't know what that means. And he would tell me that every arrow uh, is, is created. And as much as they try to have it be completely straight, all of them have bends in them. And in order for you to to shoot an arrow accurately, you have to know what the bent is in order to hit the target. And if you say, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to pull it back and let it rip, you're going to miss the target. You're going to miss the target. God says, your child is like an arrow. And I want you to pull it back, being mindful of the fact that the target is for every child the glory of God. And so it's not like we sit in here and, well, what's the target for Noah? What's the target for Emma? What's the target for Isaiah? It's the same for all of them. That God would be glorified. 
that they would be most satisfied in God and that out of that their joy would be full and God would be glorified. That's that's the target. But here's what I know. As I pull back Noah, he's got a very particular bent. And it's completely different from Emma. And as Isaiah grows up and I learn his interpretation of what he's worshiping, it's going to be completely different. It's amazing how different kids from the exact same place who look so alike one another can worship so differently and have such different interpretations and such different bents. My, my, my boy is very ordered. You walk into his room and it's it's orderly and it's clean and and you go in and you knock something over and he'll literally walk right up behind you and put it back up and that's why sometimes i walk into his room and i knock stuff over (laughs) and he goes dad why are you doing that and i say to him you think i'm kidding i say to him because the world isn't always ordered son what never mind I want him to know you can't always control your surroundings. You say he's six, but one day he'll be 16 and he'll be asking for the car. And then I do want him to be ordered. Let's just be clear about that. All right. You walk in my my little girl's room, my little girl. I'm pretty sure God created her a bohemian hippie. Like she does not. It's like clean your room. Daddy, it is clean. Are you blind? Like it is not clean. Yes, daddy, it is. And she's so cute. And you're like. Maybe. No, no, it's not. It's not. Ah, every time. Yeah. My son walks outside. He's got his, his ball shoes on. He's got his sports socks on. He's got the right hat on. He's, you know, he's ready to go. Emma walks out and she's got a dress. Hopefully she has underwear on. She does not have shoes on. I'm telling you, I come home. Over and over and over again. I'm like, sweetie, where are your shoes? I don't know. (laughs) What in the world? Her feet are like black as death. They're completely different. Now, if I say to Emma, honey, the way that God wants you to be is orderly and disciplined and particular and administrative. What am I going to do to her? I'm going to crush her. And if I say to Noah, no, take off your shoes and run around and play. <laughs> He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. And, and, and if I did that, I would be misdiagnosing their interpretation. And I would be missing the opportunity to get at what they really worship. My son is prone to worship order. And if that doesn't change, he's probably going to be an engineer or, a, you know, a professor or something. That's good. And I'm thankful. But but my daughter doesn't does not care about that. My daughter cares about her friend down the street and and playing and 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 uh, and, and cuddling. My daughter, Noah, Noah, Noah does that for a time, but he comes back and he needs he needs order. And so as I pull them back, knowing that the glory of God is the primary aim, I have to know their bent and you have to know the bent of your kids. You have to know the bent of your kids. This stewardship then, we're almost done, is very training intensive. It's training for you, you training, and it's you doing training. And I want to give you some real helpful things to kind of give you some rails and and then we'll be done. Um... Video series by Paul David Tripp called The Heart of Parenting. 
Ash and I are watching it right now. You need to buy it, especially if you have little kids. In this video series, Trip starts to talk about what what is a family, and what is it for, and, and what is its intent. And Trip says that a family is God's primary learning community. It's God's primary learning community. Now, if you think about that for a little bit, that's going to be really instructive for you as a parent. That God gives you his kid on loan to steward and shepherd and that your family and the construction of your family is the primary way that that kid is going to learn to worship, interpret, believe and behave. And so when we're talking about train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're saying that we are as daddies and as mommies taking the primary responsibility of teaching. And that teaching is sometimes deliberate and verbal and sometimes not deliberate and not verbal. But three things that Tripp says that we need to teach our children, and I could not possibly agree more. And this is really helpful to me because if you're like me, you're like, I have 784,000 things that I have to teach these kids. So let's just boil it down to three. The first is this. Theological learning. Theological learning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. You all still with me? Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 7 says, (laughs) Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your, what? Children. And you shall, listen... You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What does God say? This is who I am. Teach your kids diligently who I am. And, 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 you know, I know that for some of you that, that, that maybe feel overwhelmed by that and you're like, so I'm supposed to go home and teach my kid substitutional atonement and hypostatic union? No. Here's how you do this. My daughter's favorite color is pink. And you know what I say to my daughter all the time? Do you know who made pink? And at first she's like, what are you talking about, crazy bald guy? God made pink. My, daughter, my, my, my son loves ice cream. Who made ice cream? God did. My son loves football. Who, loved, who, who made football? God did. Like, you ask my kids that. Now, don't get all weird and theological. Like, did God really make football? <clears throat> yes, he did. Um, <laughs> basketball, we're not sure about. Uh, <laughs> but football, we know. I want my kids to know that the very best things that they celebrate more than anything, God gave them because God is good. And so all you need to know to point your kids to Jesus is what they love And know that scripture says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Whenever we go hiking in Devil's Lake and my kid walks out and can see the whole lake. Daddy, look at that. Sweetie, who made that? 
God did. When we're driving home, we get ice cream. Who made that? This day that God gave us. Did you have a good time today? Yeah, it was awesome. Ah, Who gave us this day? God did. Now, have I sat down particularly with Noah and taught him about the Trinity and taught him about, uh, you know, different things in the Bible? Yeah, I have because he's bent that way. Have I done that with Emma? No. Emma's still at God likes pink. (laughs) Not shoes, but pink. Yeah, so I don't I don't do that. But Noah, literally Saturday night, he'll say, Daddy, where are you preaching from? I'll give him a text and he'll have read it. So what do I do? We talk about it. According to his bent. But here's what you want. You want your kids to know who God is and to love him and be in awe of him before you give them a Bible. Before you give them a Bible. You don't want their first interaction with God to be Isaiah 14. Because you don't know what that says. (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) Yeah. I I want their first interaction with God to be at Culver's. Or at the ball game. Or, or as they're eating a meal that they love. And I want to keep pointing them back to Jesus so that when I say, isn't, isn't this God who gave us that day and that ice cream and that color and that game and all the things that you love, worthy of us listening to him now that you open up the Bible? Number two is sociological learning. Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 40 is a verse that we're all very familiar with, but that we don't very often apply to our families and to our parenting. The Pharisees come to God and they say, tell us the most important laws. And what does Jesus say? He says, the primary law is love the Lord your God, with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which we just talked about. The second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these hang all of the law and the prophets. So, The way that I teach my children to treat other people in how I treat them and how I expect them to treat their mama and their siblings, I'm training them. I'm training them. Now, this one, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because you probably aren't always the best version of your sociological self at bedtime. If you do not go to the bathroom and brush your teeth, I'm going to strangle you. Ah, That's me. That's not you. I know you would never say that. Okay. But I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them. If somebody doesn't do what you ask them to do, you can talk to them angrily. I'm teaching them. Whenever Noah takes something from Emma or Emma takes something from Noah and they get into a fight. I'm teaching them about forgiveness. I'm teaching them about resentment. I'm teaching them about respect. I'm teaching them about kindness. I'm teaching them about God. And so we need to have an expectation in our house of kindness and of forgiveness and of gospel. Because one day that kid's going to grow up and he's either not going to know what to do when someone talks nasty to him or he's not going to know what to do when he's somebody's boss and they don't do what he asked them to do. And so we teach them about God. We give them a sense of the awe and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And then we say, not exempt of who God is, but because of who God is, this is how we treat one another. And then thirdly is redemptive learning. Redemptive learning. 
redemptive learning is the idea of teaching our children that they need redeemed. And I'm, I'm deeply, deeply concerned about this because um, I'm concerned that a lot of us grew up in a generation when it was okay to talk very nasty to our children. And now we have kids and our idol is to not be like that. And so what we train our kids to think and believe is that their poop doesn't stink. And let me tell you why that's so concerning to me. Because they're gonna, if they're taught at home that they can't do any wrong and then they get a trophy for participation because nobody loses at the game. When it comes time for them to acknowledge that they are a broken sinner in need of a savior, we have a theological problem, don't we? We have a theological problem. And so my kids need to know daddy is a sinner. And how do they know that? Because daddy comes to them and says, daddy shouldn't have done that. Daddy sinned against Jesus and against you. Please forgive me. And let's pray that Jesus will help me. And they also need to learn that there are consequences for sin and that they are a sinner and that because there are consequences and because they are a sinner and because they were born into a sinful family, which they were, they need a savior. And his name is Jesus. The same one who loves pink. The same one who loves pink, the same one who who invented ice cream, the same one who who hopes the Browns beat the Packers today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so parenting in, in, in 30 seconds will be done. Parenting is the understanding that I am worshiping and I am interpreting and that my beliefs and my behaviors are being exposed by this little boy. And parenting is also understanding that that little boy and that little girl are worshiping and interpreting and that their beliefs and their behaviors are being exposed at a very raw level, which is very helpful because your job is to take who they are and steward them to Jesus. Kids are awful at lying for a little while. So take what they say they love and what they say they believe and point them to Jesus theologically sociologically and redemptively, because when I stand before God, he is going to say, what did you do with my boy? And the errors that I made, I will gladly look at Jesus and say, thank you for the grace. Thank you for the grace that you give. But I will give an answer for my stewardship. So here's how I would here's how I would encourage you to pray. I would encourage you to pray. Heavenly Father, you've given me. One, two, three, four, five, whatever, kids. My, my, my prayer is that you would save them. My prayer is that their lives would be for your glory. My prayer is that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit to steward and train them well. And my prayer is that you will show grace when I fail. And I believe that God loves to hear that prayer and loves to answer it. So if you're in here today and your kids are struggling, I would say find hope in a God who loves your kids more than you do. And trust that he is going to continue to be at work and that your job is to simply point them to. And if you're in here today and your family's going well, then find somebody who's struggling and love on them and care for them and pray for them and help them.
for God's glory and our joy. All right. Stand with me. A couple ways that you can respond. The first is just to take communion. Parenting is a great spot for us to just fall back to the grace of God. The cross is the place where that grace was offered. And so we remember as families, come up with your wife and even your kids and remember who Jesus is. We sing. We sing because of what Jesus has done. This natural outpouring. We give because we're teaching our kids how important our stuff is. And because God is worthy of everything because he's given us everything. And then we pray. And we're going to again put people in the back. Who uh, would love to pray with you. Parenting is tough. Grace is available. And if we can walk with you and, uh, and ask for it, we would love to do that. So in the back left, there will be some folks. And um, please pray with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for children. I thank you for my children. I thank you for the blessing that they are. I thank you for the way that you use them to expose me. As painful as that is. And I'm, I'm thankful that you allow me to be exposed because I know that grace is available. I don't get condemned. I don't get depressed. I come to Jesus. I say, God, these are yours. You gave them to me. They're on loan. I'm stewarding them. Empower me. Forgive me. Help me to point them to you. Because you're the one that they need. So, God, as as parents, would you help us, God? Would you save our children? Would you allow their lives to be for your glory? Would you help us? To steward them well, not as our own, but as yours and for your glory. God, would you, would you do what you will with them? Would you send them all over this earth to claim the goodness of Jesus? We thank you, God. Thank you that you're our perfectly, perfect Heavenly Father. Loves us so beautifully and so faithfully. We love you today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.